Ladies and gentlemen, we're shoveling. This is the growing season on News Talk. It's like a 960 AM. I'm Matt McFarlane, and pleased to be joined by my parents, Jack and Lynn, John Francis James and Lynn Marie, a.k.a. Mum and Dad, the McFarlands, the matriarch and patriarch of the growing season. Guys, how you doing? Matt, I'm doing fine. I'm doing good, too. Wonderful. Wonderful. Uh, this will be a show full of uh, typos. We have typo stories that, doesn't, that, that don't necessarily... Uh, mean that we made a typo we've also got some chats about bugs some chats about berries and we are going to discuss a little bit of the poppy and get to some flanders fields members of my father's family served in world war ii and members of my mother's family served in world war ii so this would be a wonderful opportunity we're going to chat about the poppy is this the same poppy that can make opium all of that guys anything to say or can we just jump now no we can jump matt yeah? Yeah, jump, please. Perfect. Okay, berries, bugs. Where do the bugs go? And uh, berries, and you would be picking those berries right now. This is the growing season right here on News Talk Saga 960 AM. On the other side, we'll get to some berries first. We are the McFarlands, and you're tuned in. We're back. I'm Matt. She's Lynn. He's Jack, the McFarlands. Guys, uh, what's going on? Matthew, you know what? I was kind of caught off guard a bit with the weather lately. Yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. For yeah. for many of our audience that uh, <laughs> that venture outside once in a while, even though we have COVID going on, Monday morning or was it was it Tuesday morning? No, Monday morning presented an interesting challenge, didn't it? <laughs> yeah, you know the white what? stuff started to appear. Right, <laughs> that's crazy. Yeah. That's the earliest that I've seen it. You know, I intentionally. Do you guys? You guys have Facebook now, Dad. You haven't had Facebook long enough to know. But what happens is. When you have Facebook over a number of years, they eventually, what they'll do is they'll say, this was on your timeline four years ago, or this was yeah. on your timeline. So I intentionally made a post saying November the 2nd, my kids are outside. In fact, on Monday morning, my kids put their snow pants on and because they got up at like 530 in the morning because they're still convinced it was uh, it was not daylight oh. savings time or whatever it is, right? So uh they were up at like 5.30. So they had their snow pants on and they're out in the backyard rolling around like idiots in, in the back. We hadn't even got the, the leaves in the backyard raked up yet because, you know, it's November, whatever. You're not expecting snow. In fact, I have one last landscape job to, to get done and I get up and I'm like, oh, what is this? Now, luckily, you know, Mother Nature in, intervened and that stuff melted away. But the point being is that, wow, like <laughs> that's early. Dad, what's the earliest that you've ever had it hit? Truthfully, Matt, not earlier than this. Really? I've never had it. Uh, I'm trying to think. Maybe the first week of November is probably the earliest ever, Matthew. And this is pretty close then. And you spin a yarn about being out on a site on Boxing Day. Yes. That was back in the mid-80s, Lynn. Yeah, I remember that. It was Boxing Day because you kids plus your cousin were all playing with your new Christmas toys. At the house, and Dad went out to do finish up a landscape job on Boxing Day. Now, even, even wait a minute, Matt. Even the golfers were out. Golfing. I remember you saying this, and that to me, because there is this notion that we are gradually getting warmer. Now, I'm also please don't for our audience, please don't take that I am a climate change denier, or I'm convinced that it's a hoax, but. I remember, I distinctly remember a birthday and my sister, Erin, God love her. She is born on February the 23rd. Okay. And I remember a birthday party of hers and I was out. We were playing on, dad, you had a load of six by six timber delivered. And we were out. I was in a straight up t-shirt and a pair of jeans and, and some shoes. And we were playing on the timber in February. No way, Matt, really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know what? I'm going to correct that. We used to quite often in February be down in Florida, right around Aaron's birthday. So when we came back from Florida mid-March, we would have her party with her friends after that. But still, to be able to be in a T-shirt, say, close to the end of March, that's still pretty warm. I I haven't been involved in landscape construction, consultation, and design regularly for a number of years and this has been my first year back in dad is it normal like i am on i've got five or six sites to walk to get drawings lined up for the winter and get jobs priced for spring work is that normal was that was is that what was happening to you all the time 
Well, if you were relatively good at your job, Matthew, it was quite normal. Okay, because my number one goal with all of this is to get as much of the landscape design happening over the winter. So, and, and the audience has heard me say it. I want to be able to have the time to dabble. I want to be able to have the time to have it up on the board and go, you know, huh, okay, I can leave it for an hour or come back to it the next day. Dad, didn't you always find it was so much, it was, it's nice when you're able to have it up there on the board and you can go, okay. And then you come back to it a day later and five or six different plants pop up. You're like, oh, I could do that. I could do this. I could do that. Right. But when you're just getting home from a site and you're dirty, you have to shower, you're exhausted and you're up till two in the morning doing the plan. And then you got to be back out on the site. It's exhausting, man. It's killer. Sure, man. In the end, you wanted to, you know, do something quite creative. And I found that if you left it on the board too long, long enough, yeah, then you would keep tinkering it with it, tinkering yeah. with it. And before you know, you would make so many more changes that you almost had to start over again. Now, my father, too, he also doesn't really have any concept of of ha- having it be difficult working late into the night because <laughs> you're a, a night owl, dude. Like, <laughs> Yeah, three or four in the morning, yes. <laughs> That's crazy. I can't do that. Okay. Bugs and berries on this week's show. We're going to tackle berries first. Because we're going to finish strong with bugs. There's some wicked stuff with bugs. Now, berries are no slouch either, but the bugs are pretty cool. Okay, Matthew? Yes, sir. Do you want me to start this for you? Yeah, right. start it up. Start it up, Matthew. What is a berry? Berry. Barry Davis is a former sports reporter for the Toronto Blue Jays, uh, Toronto Maple Leafs, as well as the Raptors. He actually did color commentary for the Raptors early on as well. Barry Davis. No. Does oh. Barry have seats? Well, <laughs> one that I know of. I mean. <laughs> also former... Former host and co-host of The Spin right here on News Talk Saga 960 AM. Barry's now on to other things. But yes, he has one seed. I taught his seed for a number of years. Anyways, Matthew, right, the uh, definition of a berry. Well, much like berries, is small and pulpy and often edible. True berries are simple fruits stemming from one flower with one ovary and typically have several seeds. I actually informed my daughter's kindergarten teacher, Miss Kirby and Miss Badu, who are wonderful, that bananas are in fact berries. That's right. And she was like, what? And I said, yes, Miss Kirby, bananas are berries. So is a strawberry. Yes, berry. so is Barry Davis that lives just over the way there. And okay. <laughs> he's also a berry. But is a strawberry a berry? No, because the seeds are on the outside. That's right. It's an aggregate berry. Oh, or false berry, they call so it. So it's sold by James Dick out of Bolton, aggregates. Uh, He's selling dump truck loads of berries. No, no, not at all. <laughs> okay. <laughs> not at all. All right, go for it. But, Lenny, if, can you name the berries that were basically here in southern Ontario? Yeah. Blackcurrant, blueberries, hawthorn berries, strawberries, raspberries, elderberries, buffalo berries, Gooseberries. I thought Saskatoon blueberries berries. and cranberries were the first. They're the two. original ones here, original. Right. but yeah, I'm just talking okay. the ones that are Hold here in southern Ontario. <laughs> what the hell is a buffalo berry? You, and do you dip it in in like wing sauce? Wing no. sauce. <laughs> you will learn about buffalo berry a bit later. Actually, it's rather interesting. Okay, can we start with buffalo berry now or no? You can start whatever you want. Matthew. I want to start with buffalo berry. Mom, go. Buffalo berry. It's a thorny, deciduous shrub. It has. Um, it's like a small tree. It has hairs and it has rust colored dots on its leaves. I've never seen one. I have a feeling because they call it buffalo berry, it grows out on the plains. Huh. But, but Matthew, what is really cool about buffalo berry is that it it's is really hairy. No, <laughs> like a buffalo. Like a buffalo? To other buffalo berries, it's probably <laughs> not, not too important. But no, Maddie. But what is really cool about buffalo berries, it is a nitrogen fixer. It's a what? It's something that fixes the nitrogen. Explain, Lynn. It's in the Favaceae family, like beans. What? And legumes. Peanuts. Peanuts. Clover. Soya, yeah. Matthew. Yeah. Clover, yeah. She just mentioned clover. It's a great one. Okay. Just think about that. Okay, it, whoa, whoa, whoa. Okay, so what's a nitrogen fixer? So it will take nitrogen out of the air, and then it collects it, and it deposits it back in the soil so yeah. plants can use it. It's really a cool thing, Matthew. Latin name for this thing? Latin name is, I believe it's Stepherdia argentia. Okay, what's the deal with this? Is it uh, is there a fall color to speak of? It has an amazing fall color, Matthew. It has kind of a red-orange fall color. Okay, does it flower? 
It has a yellow flower. Why aren't we using this? Because, Matthew, you can't use everything that we research. At least you can in the future because you're still doing a bucket load of designs by the sound of it. Yeah. But no, Matt. It, Hold it, on a second. No, but, but legitimately. Oh, absolutely. Let's use it. Because zone, if it's this hardy, zone three? Yes. It's, it's mm-hmm. uh, zone, let me think here, three through nine. Okay. But the problem is, Matthew, in order to get, it, get this thing to fruit, something must happen. Explain, Lynn. Oh, you need... Four males for six females. This thing. <laughs> so they like the party. I, I, I need, we need to plant all kinds of these things. That's awesome. That's to get fruit. Wait a minute. You need like a buffalo berry orgy to make this go? You got to have a lot on them in order to make fruit. <laughs> they like the party. That's and you know what? The fruit that they make is high in sugar. It's good for pies and jams and jellies. Tastes like raisins, Matthew. Yeah. Yeah. Our native people would take the fruit and put it out in the sun and dry it. And it was like raisins. Fantastic. Really? Yeah, it's, yeah, it's an amazing little plant. I wouldn't call it little, but it's an amazing plant. No, what's plant. the dad heights? Height it can width? get from anywhere from, say, roughly, say, six to 20 feet high. So, so it's a downy service berry. It's basically a downy service berry, uh, nasogenella. Oh, there's a Latin alert. Yeah. Uh, or uh, anything like that that you yeah. could think of. That's Call it a large shrub. How's that? While we're on the topic of the downy service berry, I got to tell you something. I have a number of designs coming up, and... I swear to you, Pops, I'm using the downy service berry as a replacement for Japanese maple. Fine. And you know they're hardy enough for crying I, out loud. I'm legitimately using it. But you know, Matthew, you, you you can get them in clump form, right? Yep. The Amelanchia canadensis. Yeah. But you can also get them in a tree form if you want. Well, the cumulus, the cumulus service berry is, it looks like a little ivory silk. Sure. And like it's, a, it's, a, it's a tree form service berry. And they're hardy as hell, right? We take zone three. It'll take partial shade, too. Yeah, it'll take whatever soil you, you toss at it, and it's like you call it a four season plant. That's what it is, and right? it's a four hundred one plant too. Yeah, dig it in the middle of the highway. Sure. I love them. It's good, Matt. And then another interesting thing is its uh, pH is five point five to seven point five. This so is back acid, to buffalo berry. Yeah, acid, right alkaline. It'll tolerate it, and even generally, it'll take on a, a relatively it's uh, drought resistant, salt resistant. It's a tough little plant, and so it maybe in the future, Matt, you're going to have to you know work it into our landscape plants. Yes, but we. <laughs> In order for this to fruit, here's your, yeah, here's your adult-oriented party of buffalo berry on your front lawn. Otherwise, it won't fruit. I think well, you need a big property in order for yeah. it to have its naturalization. Oh, okay, wait a minute. Question then for you: Is there a range here? For in range of what? Well, like okay, so like the girls can't be so separated from the boys that there's no party well, happening. Well, it's always five to seven feet kind of thing, right, Matt? So you can't have this thing. It can't be like. I have a buffalo berry over here, and then across the property, I have another buffalo berry. I have to have them within shooting range. But not everybody wants the berries, Matthew. Think about it. But if it's called buffalo berry, you're going to want the berry. Otherwise, it's just buffalo. Sure. (laughs) And you can use the berries. Sure. The the berries are, I can say, they they come in either red, blue, or black when the berries, as they start to ripen. That's awesome. And they're a fantastic little bush. I wouldn't really call them little. As I said, 6 to 20 feet is not little. There is nothing like seeing a downy service berry with the red-orange color, and then it has the the bluish berry on it. It's unbelievable. Unbelievable. Okay. So there's there's buffalo berry. Where else are we headed here? Do you want to start with the tallest stuff first, Matt, maybe? Sure. Okay. So air above, ground below idea? Uh, Yep. Okay. So let's start with... uh, European mountain ash, Matthew. Love it. Sorbus ocuparia. Dead bird smell. Dead bird smell on the Dead balloons. Dead bird smell. Yeah, the, yep. the balloons really are on the stinky side, right? They are horrendous. This is musty, to say the least. And Awful. they have a green palmate leaves in, through, in the summer. Explain palmate. Palmate would mean uh, multiple leaflets on one stem. Ooh. Okay. Oh, you, actually, you guys have you, you guys are palmate then because you have multiple leaflets off, off Yes, off we are. Stem. We can be compound palmate. Right. Yep. So anyways, Matthew... Uh, they have a beautiful red-orange berry in the fall. Unbelievable. They have an amazing fall color, which is generally on the red-orange again. But they have only, the problem with them, it's an ornamental tree. Yep. And it only lives in the neighborhood of, say, 30 to 50 years. Right. So it's not a long-living tree as also far as ornamentals. Also small in size. Small in size. But anywhere up to, say, 20, 30 feet for height. Yep. But the problem is, Matthew, at my home, at my yeah. house here, I had... Three, four of them. Sorbus ocuparia fastidiata, right? Pyramidalis? Pyramidalis. Sorry. So I, no. Four, Sorbus fastidiata pyramidalis. Okay. Yeah. So anyways, uh, I had them here and they were beautiful. They had the berries and everything in the fall. But then one summer came along. And really, yours were not. They went old. 
They were not 50 years. Oh, no. They were... I put them in the 90s, and they were gone. They've been out now for about the last three or four years. So. But they were 25. Okay. But, they Matt, 25. what happened was, I, I noticed I got a, a lot of frost cracking on the bark itself, right? Yeah. So, I was wondering, what the heck caused this? And so, what, what I did, I did a lot of research, and, they, and what they were saying was that if you have a hot, dry summer, and you're not water, watering adequately then the actual bark itself, because it's very thin, will dry out and you'll have defects within the bark itself, okay? So what will end up happening then, Matt, is once you get to winter, these defects really show themselves and you get something called frost cracking. Explain frost cracking, Matthew. Frost cracking is where the ice crystals or the, the, the temperature would cause the bark to swell and split. Yes, right? and because the tree is basically dormant in the wintertime, there's no phenols there to kick in and, and make it healthy again or heal yep. the wounds. Yep, heal the wounds way. would get healed the following season or even longer than that, depending on how bad the wound was. But Matt, my wounds on my, my frost cracking on my mountain ashes went right from the first branches yep. right down to the yep. ground, probably at least three to four feet long. And man, when those things started to go, they went. Yeah. And it's a cry and shame because audience, these were beautiful. These were absolutely gorgeous. And I remember putting these things in and when they hit about 10 to 15 years old, they were just absolutely gorgeous. Now, there's one, I haven't had an opportunity to put this on a property yet. And again, with all the landscape designs that I'm in the process of doing, one might find its way on there. There's something called a Blackhawk Mountain Ash. I've never used it, Matt. I've never used this thing either. And it's... Kind of a cross between audience, when something is pyramidalis, that's Latin for pyramidal or cone-shaped, essentially. So if you think about, everybody has seen a pyramidal English oak. It's like an obelisk looking shape, right? It's like a very stretched out oval. You've heard me talk ad nauseum about the red obelisk beach. These are all pyramidal trees, pyramidal deciduous trees. Many of your upright junipers, even your upright cedars would all be considered pyramidalis, okay? Branches all the way down to the bottom. Well, this Blackhawk Mount Nash is, it's on a standard. It's a tree form that it's a pyramidal standard. Is that right? I've never seen it, man. So it's, you've got, you've got the trunk, let's say three and a half to four feet up, and then the pyramidal begins. You know, Matt, for, for a deciduous tree, it's not really that common to actually have a tree physically grow in the pyramidal shape. That's more designated for, say, your evergreens, right? Yeah, yeah. One of the closest, I would say, well, now, are the centuries, are those all manipulated? Those are columnar. Okay, those are columnar. Okay. Would you consider the shape of a linden to be pyramidalis? That's a teardrop. No, no. Okay. It's just way larger than, say, your your pyramidal mountain ashes. But Matt, the thing is, a mountain ash without the berries is like you caught talking about, oh, must have more more than one thing. More than one thing. It does bloom. Sure. The blooms are stinky to say the least, but... But they're beautiful. But the... They're pretty. Berries in the fall against the dark green leaves are Well, and that's not even the, the... The thing for me that I remember the most about the mountain ash was pulling up into the driveway and that fall color was like rust. It was orangey, reddish, yellow, yeah, like nothing beautiful. else. It was really cool. It looked like rust. And I say that, and maybe if you're an audience member, like you're cringing, you're going, well, why would you want your tree to look rusty? It was rust in the best way. Like it was creamsicle orange. There was, there was dots. There was, there was accents of red in there. It was beautiful. But Matt, you want to hear something funny? So they generally say that it's not really something that you should eat a lot of, the berries off of a mountain ash. They, they, they say they're unsafe to eat because they can cause things like runs, diarrhea, and so forth. All our favorites, <laughs> yeah, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. Yes. Yeah. But here's the really the funny thing. And they went on to say that the berries in the wintertime actually will start to ferment. So the birds will come along during the winter. they get hammered? They get totally hammered. <laughs> they said com- completely, I know, Matthew, completely <laughs> intoxicated. Can you imagine? And they say the more they eat... 
They said they can't even walk after a while. They're so drunk, okay? Oh, man, that is so good. That would be worth some film, wouldn't it? Can yeah. you imagine what so, a hammered bird? So, Jack, do you think that the birds on purpose frequent the tree then to get drunk? Yeah, <laughs> I don't think they think that. I think it's more of a survival thing. I bet yeah. you any money when your, when, when yours were cut down, all the birds in the neighborhood were like, Durr! The party's over. <laughs> the party is <laughs> over. We're moving. <laughs> we're out. So, sorry, I heard word of a typo. Does the typo fit in here or does the typo fit no. in elsewhere? Well, again, this is not what I would consider a poisonous berry as, say, as bad as some of them, okay? Yeah. But if you want to hear the, what happened on the typo, Mom and I were, were looking up information on various things that we weren't quite sure of. And you keep telling us, Dad, you must be 100% sure about all your information. Right. Okay. So anyways, we went through and they were trying to tell you how to tell whether or not a berry is poisonous or if a berry is not poisonous. Explain, Mom. What they tell you to do is to take the berry and squish it on the back of your hand. Okay. And then they said, wait four years. <laughs> and if it causes irritation, then it's poisonous. <laughs> In actuality, it's four hours. hours. But yeah. they had four years. I thought it was my typo, but... It wasn't my four type years. Four years, yeah. yeah. After that time, you say I could care less about yeah. the bloody berry. Yeah, I just won't eat it. I'll say no. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. So we wait a minute. Before we move on, one so more. What, wait quick. So what is the most poisonous berry out there? Nightshade. Okay. Yeah. Atropa belladonna. Right. Yep. So yeah, it's one of the worst. This, yeah. And the you, worst. And if you had to pick a plant that was absolutely the most poisonous of the bunch out there, what would it oh, be? Oh, that's easy. Oleander. Yeah, Nerium oleander. Terrible. Yeah, so Terrible. Every, every single part, the bark, the freaking roots, the, the leaves, leaves, the, the flowers. Bark, everything. Everything are poisonous. Yep. Okay, so let's move on to, to back down to the ground. Let's do something like wintergreen, which is Gaultheria procumbens. Can you explain Four that? minutes. Four just, minutes. Just okay. let you know. Gaultheria procumbens. What I, what, I, what I will tell you about this is that we do not use this. Nearly enough. We do not use wintergreen nearly enough. Do you know what, Matt? I think in the last, probably let's go the last 10 or 12 years, I have found that my designs, I've started to incorporate, 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 <laughs> incorporate, way, I'm hunting wabbits. Way more <laughs> dis, into my designs perennials, okay? Yep. And this basically to me is just a glorified perennial. Really? Yeah, so Matt, the thing about it, it has these green leaves, right? Yeah. And it has uh, pink bell-shaped flowers going on. And here's the thing. The berries are completely edible. They're red. And they say they taste like wintergreen or mint, mantha, right? Yeah. They're only 10 centimeters high. But they, what, what is amazing about them, Matt, is they grow in an acidic, poor, crappy soil that you could think of. Zones 3 through 7, even full sun and a little bit of shade. Okay, so would this be put in with your blueberries? Uh, as far as what? As well, far because if they're acidic soil, yep, they could probably tolerate a fair bit of it. Yeah, like blueberries are what four point five to yep. five point three yep. range. But Matt, they reproduce by rhizome. Okay, but the thing is that they're great for the wildlife as well. So if people out there want to do something environmentally friendly, height and width, height and width. They only say ten by ten centimeters by ten centimeters. Okay, so totally ground. They're a clumper, yep. basically. Okay, here's a question, Jack. So if they can take acidic soil like blueberries, could they be grown under pine trees? Uh, that might be a little over the top, but they could grow under things like, say, oaks or okay. near heaths and so forth. Really? So, so they'll do that. And actually, Matt, they love growing in forests, so they would do well in and around trees. But I don't know if that's maybe a little bit too, too much, much acid for them underneath now, the pine tree. how would they do under an Austrian pine? <laughs> oh. <laughs> <laughs> See, My dad knows of a couple of sites where we can find some <laughs> Austrian pines. Yeah. yeah. I guess you would have to do a supplement with that. Yeah, You'd have to yeah. probably use something like uh, muriatic lime or something to taint, maybe drop the pH or change the pH slightly so that they could tolerate it. We're going to get into, uh, coming up on an, in a couple of weeks, or I'm not even sure when, we're getting into horticultural avoidances. Avoidances two. We, we did a horticultural avoidances one. We're going to do a number two. I would imagine that next year we'll do number three and four, et cetera. Et oh, cetera. so many of them. We're Matthew. definitely going to do a number two, right, Mom? Mm, yeah. For sure. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Oh, I hope so. Okay. So- the idea here is, though, one of the things that we chat about on horticultural avoidances would be rhodos, rhododendrons, and azaleas. And why I bring this up is because those plants are fond of, in fact, demand an acidic soil. And this is precisely why we don't recommend 
you getting involved in them? Well, you know, one of the biggest, biggest problems, Matthew, is people think that they take 100% full shade. And, no. the, and the rule of thumb goes, if you want fruit, nut, or flower... You've got to have sun. You've got to have At least partial sun. At least, yeah. yeah. And at least seven hours a day kind of thing, okay? So in other words, if you go and stick them in a very shady environment, they're not going to do that well. And you're not going to get very much bloom, and they're going to get all these other sickening things like mold and so forth, right? right. Powdery mildew. All right. On the other side, we're going to chat about bugs. We did a bugs show. Where do the bugs go last year? And it was so popular that we, again, we're going to, this is, this is a show about sequels. Okay. We're going to chat about some that we haven't chatted about before. In particular, I can't wait to get to grasshoppers. Holy man. Do we have some information? She's Lynn. He's Jack. I'm Matt. This is the growing season on news talks on a 960 AM. back. Many many thanks to the sounds of horticulture for bringing us in here. We're going to do a bit of a change up as far as format on this show. Towards the end of the show, we're going to dabble a little bit into the waters that are poppies. We're going to finish the show off with a, we're going to regale you with the first verse of Flanders Field. As you heard me make mention off the top of the show, the McFarlane's in uh, various degrees, sorry, the McFarlands and then the Silvers, which was my mom's maiden name, uh, were involved in service for the Canadian military during World War II. And uh, we wanted to make sure that we, from the going season, highlighted their efforts and gave thanks for all that they basically did for us for our freedom. So we're going to do the joke now. I feel like it's not, uh, it isn't appropriate to do it towards the tail end of the show. So uh, buckle yourselves in because here we go. <laughs> all right. Now, there's a joke here on the other side of the card. My, my parents cue the joke up for me. It's really cute. They use little cue cards. Now, they do have, there are two, there's probably close to two and a half thousand dollars worth of iPads sitting in the room here right now. Each of my parents has a super spiffy iPad. But I get this like 1950s era cue card, right? On the back of the card, there is a joke that I simply cannot use. I desperately, I think it's hilarious. It's just that the CRTC would think it would be not so hilarious. So um, here's the joke. What do you call a rabbit with fleas? Actually, it's a wonderful time because it's segments about bugs. Guys, anything? Actually, Matthew, no. Mom? Bugs Bunny. <laughs> <laughs> That's pretty good, right? That's yeah. cute. Yeah. yeah, the one on the other side, though. Ooh, Matthew, a, the one on the other side nuts. was strictly for your enjoyment. <laughs> no, it's great. We no. knew we knew yeah. right off the bat that yeah. it was not appropriate. Good, good, good. No, I would have <laughs> if there was any sort of debate as to whether or not that should have been used. Yeah, yeah no, I don't think so. Okay, we're going to start off this segment. This uh, the other half of the show here. This this segment right here, we're going to chat about bugs. GrowingSeasonCanada.com. Click on Show Bits. It's your visual accompaniment to the show. This allows you to basically follow in chronological order. What we are chatting about, many of our listeners over the course of the year plus that we've been doing this have thanked us profusely for the Showbits segment. This is not like your typical sports talk radio or talk radio segment where we basically hang out on a subject for the better part of about 15 minutes and we talk about one thing. This is rapid fire information. In fact, many thanks to John from NYU as he's a member of their plant science department who's constantly chiming in and telling me like, I need to take notes during the, <laughs> during the <laughs> podcast because there's just so much flying at you. Ladybugs. Common misnomer, a ladybug should actually be called a ladybird beetle. Am I correct? Just, they, they just call them lady beetles, Matthew? Yeah. These are a member of the beetle family. The, oh. Largest. Uh, yeah, largest. What's, I'm sorry, the Latin name on this is, uh, oh, Coleoptera. Now. Not bad, Matt. There you go. Yeah, and I, you know, it's, I remember doing the entomology class at Humber College, Humber College's esteemed landscape program, which is actually wonderful. And I'm, I'm not even making light of it. It's, it's fantastic. But I, I remember the entomology portion and uh, Coleoptera. What is it? I'm sorry. It's like uh, Coleoptera, sorry, was huge, absolutely massive. And I remember graduating school. I graduated at Humber in 99, 
I believe, 1999. And not soon after I graduated, the first Mummy, updated Mummy movie came out. Remember that with Brandon Fraser? Sure. Mm-hmm. And you know, boasting state-of-the-art special effects and such. And I remember heavily featured in that film were the Scarab Beetles. Remember when they put the... They put the they put the guy in the. In He's the, just not a dung beetle, Matthew. No, I'm not dung beetles. They're the best. But they 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 put the guy in the sarcophagus, and as punishment for making Whoopi with the pharaoh's wife, wife they put this they they put the 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 pharaoh's sorcerer who was having the affair with the wife. They they put him in the sarcophagus, core a hole in the top, and drop a bunch of scarab beetles in it, and then they seal the sucker up. Basically, eats him eats him alive. And I, it's funny. I remember thinking, yeah, I just, I, I literally just learned about Beatles in school, and now we're watching these things become essentially part of the villainry of of the movie. Sure. So, Matt, I'm gonna let Mum uh, describe to our listeners, Lenny, what is the the looks of your little lady beetle? Well, they've got oval, dome shaped bodies. They've got six short legs. And depending on the species, they can have spots, they can have lines, they can have stripes or no markings at all. They are the cutest. Oh, they are so cute. So, Matt, what's the so cutest? What is yeah. besides being terribly cute? What's the the main thing that they're used for? Being cute. No. Yes. No. Yep. Absolutely. You will not convince me otherwise. They are damn cute. Uh, yes, they need to take a mirror with them everywhere they go. It's the right. truth. <laughs> yeah. Well, well played, sir. Any truth to the fact that the orange ones bite? They say they can bite, and they said that it could be. Uh, they're not. They're generally harmless. Okay. Yeah, but they said I have that, never been bitten by a lady. But they bug. say that it could actually sting for a number of days. They said three or four days it could hurt. Are there male ladybugs? Sure. What do mm-hmm. they call them? Uh, <laughs> manly bugs. I don't. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I don't know manly bugs. <laughs> so Matt, what are they? I, you still didn't answer my question. What are they there for? They can. They can be chewing holes in leaves pretty pretty decently. No, but what are you using them for? Are you using them as a control for what? Yes, aphids. Yeah. Yep. So they would also eat uh, fruit flies, thripes, mites, anything that would damage your plants, okay? But here's the big one, Matthew. When they are just about ready to lay the eggs, so they can lay anywhere up to uh, hundreds of eggs at a oh, time. little more little mm-hmm. cuties. And they will physically lay their eggs in an area that there's got a, where, which has a lot of aphids. You got it? So when the aphids are, you know, hanging out, munching on your plants, this little ladybug eggs are starting to to grow <laughs> and then when they come out of this Matthew they eat the aphids they eat the aphids they have a food a food source right there all ready to go oh, think about that that's awesome that's but it's really on because the cool they're good mummies sure and right? Matt, they're feeding their babies they can they can live basically a year okay from oh. a pupa to adult okay but they can in their lifetime they can eat approximately 5,000 aphids Damn, that's a lot of aphids, okay? Man! But they said that, get this, Matt. They said in order to control, let's say, aphids on your roses or whatever, you would approximately need about 1,500 on a two-week cycle, flipping them in and out to try to get them to stay on your plants, okay? So one of the key things they told you to do is if you want the lady, lady beetles to stay on your plant, wet down your plants prior to when you want them to actually help control the aphid problem, okay? But, Matt, the real f- cool thing is that these guys, when uh, you, they'll, they'll secrete something from their, a fluid from their leg joints, okay? Yep. And so when that, it gives off a horrible taste. They call it stinky feet taste, okay? Oh. I don't know anybody going around calling but anything so from your... they're so cute. No. I bet you, they're, I bet you they're, they're, they're stinky feet. It probably smells like roses. I don't think no, so. No, they're so cute. But, Matt, they don't... Um, migrate, they hibernate, and they, they hang out in these warm, dry places. They sleep for the long, cold winters. And what's really cool is that they can live on their fat reserves. So Wait they can live Hold the whole winter. What, but if they only live the year, why would they have to hibernate? Because ones that are born later in the later season, in the season. Okay. are there for the next year to carry on the next generation. So, Lenny, why are ladybugs, lady beetles, uh, attracted to light-colored, older homes? What? Well, Wait, what? Yeah. yeah I know. This is for hibernating. They like light colored, colored older, older homes. homes. Well, they have a preference. Yes. <laughs> if it wasn't, if it wasn't built, if, if it wasn't built in 1955, I don't want to sleep. Well, they in would it. like our house. It was built in 59, but it's not light colored. The reason they like light colored homes is that the sunlight reflects off of them, and it's the heat. 
Keeps them alive in the wintertime. Keeps them okay, alive so in the winter. Okay, so why older? What the heck is the older? Because, because there's cracks, like between the bricks and maybe in the foundations. Oh, my. Around so the windows and everything you can think yeah, of. Yeah, it gives them places to go and hide and be oh, warm. It's just... Yeah. It even adds to the cuteness. Yes. And you know what, Matt? They also hang out in cracks of rocks, uh, tree trunks, anything that you could think of that in and around the home that you can get into. Now, let's say that you were a contractor working outside and you had a issue with not wearing a belt. Would they be apt to hanging around? <laughs> in, uh... No. Okay. No. No. But, Matt, you know, you, you would... <laughs> I've even seen them. <laughs> that makes me uncomfortable. No, okay. Maddie, I even seen them do penguin penguining. You know what Pe- I mean? Yes, penguining. Penguining. That's hard to say. It is. Penguining is where penguins in the areas where penguins are native, Antarctic, and the Antarctic, they form a circle in in the winter. And what happens is they generally keep their old and their sick closer to the internal of the circle. But the the penguins basically take turns working towards the inner regions of the circle. And then, so let's say you were you were an inner region penguin, you would be working your way towards the outer regions. So everybody has a chance to get warm and stay warm throughout the winter. Because it's so cold in the Antarctic, they're using their body heat to create this impenetrable circle of warmth, much in a similar way to the Italian honeybee that would be the, our, our main honeybee here in, in North America. Right? Sure. And yeah. Matt, for the most part, they they don't like anything below 55 degrees Fahrenheit because they go into something called diapause. You know what diapause is? Uh, well, you've got two paws. No. <laughs> Not because otherwise it would be monopause. No, they can't actually uh, – they, they don't do – they don't move much. They don't eat right. much. They just survive and that's what they go and they do. Question about don't move much, don't eat much. We – our in our garage, you've heard me made, made, make mention of Chewbacca, our I large spider. Spider. She, I think, I think it's a she. She's laid eggs. She's not moving much anymore. No, no, it's a shame, Matt. Can we hit a couple more things before we move off into spiders? That was a great segue. But can we yep. hit a couple more things that you're going to find super cool? Go for okay, it. Okay, so not poisonous, Matthew. But the problem is that when they do feed on aphids, so. Back Who's not poisonous? This the is ladybug, lady beetle, bug, lady yeah. beetles, whatever you yeah. want to call them. They're not poisonous. But uh, back in the 2000, 2002, 2003 area, area the, um, they brought them in to control aphids on things like canola, soya, and so forth because there was a lot of aphids issues. So what, hap- what ended up happening is once the food source was gone, they no longer had any more aphids to munch on. Now what? They flew away and they landed on other things such as our grape crops up in the Niagara area. And they ate the grapes? They didn't eat the grapes. They were feeding on insects on the grapes themselves. So when they went to do harvesting, they found out that the, the juices that are secreted by the, the, from the joints of the ladybug. From the rosy feet. And they actually <laughs> got into the actual wine and uh, they said that there what? were. Yes. And it destroyed most of the wine crop for that year because the taste was brutal. Okay. And they said they couldn't use it. And so, Matt, that's bonkers. It's amazing. Um, from a, the juices off of a ladybug. But, Matt, they can fly and, and they can travel such long distances. Get this. They can fly at heights of 3,600 feet. They can a reach, ladybug. A ladybug. They can reach Do they speed. need an oxygen tank? No, but get this. They can also get up to speeds of 37 miles an hour and are able oh to God. travel in that's one bonkers. trip. One trip. Get this. 74 miles in one trip. So these little guys can move and around girls. and girls can move around according to whatever, wherever the food source is, they will go. Any insight into the inner workings of the, like, uh, of the biological, sociobiological stuff? Like, are the males outcasts? Are they completely idiotic like the male, <laughs> like the drone bees? Is there no, any- none of that. Okay. No, they're actually not. They actually are. They seem to get along quite well. As long as the food source is there and then they'll just move off and carry on somewhere else. But Matt, you, let's go into your spiders. Okay. So is she dead? Who's dead? Chewy. But who's Chewy? The large brown house spider, Chewbacca in my garage. I, no, she's, a, she's probably uh, hibernating. They'll hibernate? Sure. They do diapause too. Sure. We had one living at our front door. 
and she was very big, and she was way up in the corner, and we made a point of not disturbing her, not ruining her web, but she's not active now either. Okay, but in Charlotte's web, she dies in the fall. But you know what, Matt? Some of them even live out in the wintertime outside. But They can make little igloos in the snow, but believe it or not. Would Charlotte, then why did Charlotte die in the fall? Because it depends on how old she was when she died in the fall. Was she because that she was the... The adult that started off off at the beginning of the season, or was she something yes, that well, came she's along? Yes, well, she's there just as spring breaks. Yeah, so she was probably there right off 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 the bat. So, what can I do for Chewbacca to help her over winter? Nothing. Just let absolutely him. nothing, Matthew. Mm-hmm. Some of them are very active, and their digestion and their metabolism slows down in the winter time, and they don't need as much food. So they're not, you know, eating, uh, you know, anything that they can get their their little. Whatever you want to call it, their mouth parts on. But Matt, it's really kind of some of the interesting things they come up with. They said, okay, well, people would call in or write in and so forth. They said, well, what happens if I vacuum up my sp- spider into my vacuum cleaner? Is the thing going to survive? And the answer is definitely yes. They have no issues about getting sucked up into a vacuum cleaner and they might even actually eventually walk, you know, wander out. But Matt, they can live four to eight weeks. Inside your vacuum container without, I know, without any food whatsoever, Matthew. That sucks, though. Sure. And the thing is, they say that there's no insect out there that is more afraid than a spider. Yeah. Because between us, every predator that you could think of, and they're really visible when they're on their webs. And so, you know, they have some sort of protection because they have the venom, depending on if they're a black or a brown or a black widow or whatever you can think of. Those guys have real protection. But most of them have only enough venom to actually inject within the insect that they're going to consume because they suck all the juices out of them. When you hear about the plight of the spider, and I remember you telling me this years ago about, you know, don't kill the spider because they spend most of their lives living in fear. And that makes you terrified. Sure. That makes you, uh, sorry, not terrified. That makes you sad. It's a very sad existence. And... These, in my opinion, this is the most misunderstood member of the insect family. Mom? We need spiders. Where would we be without them knee-deep in flies? Yeah. Because they, they, they well, eat so many insects that we don't want around. And flies this is and what mosquitoes. I explained to my children who were afraid to go into the garage because of Chewbacca. And I said, listen, you have to understand, without these things around, we would be literally knee-deep in flies. I... I implore you to go and see, you need to watch the live action version of Charlotte's Web because they do not hide the fact that this is a spider. It's a spider. But what they do is they make her, like she's got the like five eyes and stuff, but they make her pretty. The only thing is like I she's cry pretty. at the end. So. She's, oh yeah. And the end is, it'll, yeah. it'll destroy you. Okay. But she's, she's pretty. But you know what, Manny? They they tell uh they they mention that everybody if they come across one instead of the first reaction is to squish it, oh. is they they talk about you should pick it up and relocate it as long as it's not one of these black widows or well, something. Well, and the the thing with the black widow is that black widow like British Columbia, yeah, it's 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 there lower mainland. Yes. It's there absolutely. There was a story I forget where I read it where person comes home from person comes home from shopping. And there's a bunch of trucks or whatever in the neighbor's driveway. Okay. Out of the neighbor's driveway or out of the neighbor's house comes a guy in like a hazmat suit. Neighbor gets out of the vehicle and says, oh, what's going on? Neighbor says, you need to collect your belongings and get out of your house. And the person's like, what? It's just, you need to collect your belongings and get out of your house immediately. Why? So person collects the belonging and get out of the house. And he said, I need permission to go in and, and examine your home. Uh, they found nothing in the home. In the neighbor's house, in the attic, was a black widow egg sack the size of a softball. Oh, my. Wow. But you realize that only four people a year in North America die from spider bites. And Matt, but represent- you do not want to tangle with a black widow. No. no and Matt, no. they represent, what, their seventh uh, overall in the total species, species diversity of all orders. Really? So, so they're really up there. But, Matt, anybody who sees them. They do their job, and I, I think their webs are fascinating. They're almost like an art piece, right, Matt? And the way that they their spinnerets can uh, exclude their uh, silks is fantastic. I listen. I have become. I have seen, or I have, I have gained so much knowledge just by watching Chewbacca do her thing, and it's really cool because the back legs 
the back legs hook onto the spinnerets and they begin pulling out the webs and you'll see her and she walks over and she goes and and hooks the one web there walks over here hooks it there it's like watching them sew have you seen this mom where they're just like it's just it's like they're like engineers it's unbelievable no man i got a bunch of pictures i'm going to put up of spiders and i think their their webs are total artwork but matt think about this there's approximately three thousand species of spiders in north america okay but hardly anybody ever gets injured so it goes to show you oh, that absolutely. they're really not going out of their way to harm us, okay? No, no. And now, when you start getting into the jungle spider or stuff in the in Mexico or any of those tropical sure, the black, uh, what they start is getting it? bigger. Brown, right? black, and hobo spiders are the big ones in the United Nasty. States. Nasty. Okay, we have four minutes. I want to get. I want to get desperately to grasshoppers because this is an insect that never gets talked about. The grasshopper. In fact, I mentioned earlier in the season. Because my son asked me, he said, Dad, what the heck does a grasshopper do? And, I'm, and I, actually, I had to go look it up. And as I had said, the grasshopper is the insect that essentially decides horticulturally and agriculturally what moves on to the next quote-unquote round, right? So the grasshopper helps to sort of glean out or weed out the weaker plants or whatever. They will intentionally eat those and they leave the stronger ones. But you guys have you guys have unearthed some information. I guess my first question here with regards to the grasshopper is what the hell's the difference between a grasshopper and a locust? What the, what is what's the difference here? They're the same beast, the grasshopper and what? the locust. Yes. Yeah, they're the same. What happens is we don't see it here in North America much, though many, many years ago there were locusts in North America out west. But what happens is grasshoppers eat grass and, and that kind of thing. Well, you get like in areas like Africa where there's many, where there's drought and the land becomes parched. So the nutritious grass becomes less and less. So the grasshoppers, the grasshoppers automatically flock to the areas where there's nutritious grass. And when they become crowded, so there's more and more grasshoppers coming in to this area and the grass is getting eaten. So they're bunching up even more. Then serotonin kicks in. Serotonin's in their system. It's in their gut. And the serotonin Within two to three hours, the serotonin can take that group of grasshoppers and turn them into locusts. The serotonin triggers the swarming thing, and they become vicious and aggressive, and they swarm. It's billions and billions of dollars worth of damage because of them, because of all of serotonin, Matt. So basically, locusts what? are because of climate. Climate weather. Yep. Weather makes locusts. So the more, so when they get hungry and they bunch together, they swarm. They swarm. They get they get aggressive. But they have to have the serotonin trigger. Yeah, that's cool. insane. Yeah. Yep, to me, that's scary when you think about us on our overcrowded planet, fighting right. over reduced resources. You know, it's like two sides of the same coin, Matt. Just think about it. How just a matter of hours they can go from being a grasshopper, which and shy and not and, aggressive, and they they can fly at amazing heights, but Matt, they, they choose not to. Not the grasshoppers don't. The grasshoppers choose not to fly. No, not really. Yeah, they, the they, wings are de- uh, underdeveloped. On the grasshopper, but once but they yet get the locust hold. So then, oh, wait a minute. Are you talking now? Here, in two to three hours, they go from their wings are underdeveloped as a grasshopper to yeah. their wings are yeah. now miraculously let's rock and roll. We got our we got our flight I, ticket. I'm wondering if the wing, if it's already it's just, there, maybe it's they just, just don't that need them as much. Up with the because serotonin. when I was doing the research on the grasshopper for Logan, my son, your grandson, they said that. The grasshopper has a, has has wings, but they just choose to not really use them. Like you'll see them pull them out when they go to do a big oh, long jump. Same as a earwig, Matthew. The, same as earwig, right? But you don't see prolonged flight like a dragonfly or I like a bumblebee the, or whatever. I think the serotonin, when it kicks in, it just makes them so ultra aggressive. They just, you know, the wings are there to be used, and they they swarm. It triggers the swarming but you, behavior. But you know what, Matt? The grasshoppers, for the most part, can only jump about twenty five centimeters, and they can basically uh, about a meter long of distance when they travel. But once they turn into these locusts, they can go upwards to 280 meters, say 920 feet. And they can fly. Holy. They've been seen, Matt, flying at distances of 100 meters and uh, because of updrafts. And so that's how they can move around freely. They're not that heavy either. you got to understand. And it's they all based swarm on like a flock of birds. You ever see like you have like the lead bird in it? basically directs the swarm. Like you see these things and they're moving in the air. It's like a dogfight. And of course, it's 2020. So over in Africa, we saw it on the news. They were having problems with locusts. Of course. But you know, Matt, for the most part, they don't survive over the winter, okay? But their eggs are winter hardy. 
and that's how they will survive. And they will lay, lay their eggs in around plant roots, they said wood, cow manure, anything that they can find that they can stay warm, the eggs stay warm over the winter time. And then when the winter, spring comes along, the eggs develop into to new little, uh, they go from a nymph to an adult and then become a full-fledged grasshopper. But they only live for the most part. If the climates were, climate was right and they had the weather, like warm weather constantly, they can live a couple years. But for the most part, they don't because they don't have to and they have to survive our winters. And that's a great place to shift gears. As you heard me mention throughout the show, we're going to dispense with our regular way, our, our regular, we're going to dispense with the regular gauntlet of how we do things here, growingseasoncanada.com. Click on whatever you want to click on as far as show bits or contact. That directs it to me. Mom, some quick information on the poppy, please. The poppy in Flanders Fields is, the Latin name is Papaver Roeus. It's a poppy that comes from the Mediterranean area, and it likes to grow in cultivated fields all through southern Europe. Now, Flanders Fields is in southern Belgium and northwestern France. So the poppies were growing there. Ladies and gents, in what will become a tradition for this time of year on the growing season, we would love to recite Flanders Fields for you from the McFarlands. Dad? In Flanders Fields, the poppies blow between the crosses, row on row. That mark our place, and in the sky, the larks still bravely singing fly. Scarce heard amid the guns below, we are the dead. If ye break faith with us who die, we, we shall, shall not sleep, though poppies grow. In Flanders Fields. Jack out. Ladies and gentlemen, thanks for tuning in. We're going to end this week's episode with 15 seconds of silence. If you miss any part of our show today or any of our earlier broadcasts, don't panic. Just log on to our website at www.saga960am.ca backslash podcasts and look for and stream our podcasts of this show and any of our other great programs.